Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to episode number 75 of the Full Throttle Bike Racing Podcast from Eurosport for Monday, the 6th of April, 2020. Are you bored yet? I've been putting together a playlist of songs I want to break free and all by myself were the two top hits there and there's plenty more where they came from. But I don't know about you, it's been a week of highlights for me. I've looked out of the window, I've eaten some food and I even went outside earlier in the week. What an incredible set of circumstances this is for all of us. But for episode 75 of Full Throttle and episode 7 of season 3, we're chatting away all things TV and all things motorcycle racing and a bit of car racing as well with Eurosport's very own Barry Nutley. Have a listen to this. And the rider simply said, wet tyres or not, it is too dangerous. And who can blame them as the light goes off and we have a start. One has them, number 8, weaving all over the track. But teammate Kevin Schwantz takes the edge as they go into the first turn and they streak away out of tax curve up through the gearbox the heat haze at Hockenheim joggling for positions but in the lead Kevin Schwantz fastest man in practice Wayne Rainey alongside him up towards Bramscurve for the first time 19 laps to do 80 miles the 500cc West German Grand Prix is on well, there he was, the great man in action for BBC Grandstand back in the day. But there's plenty of stories. He's a great man. It's Barry Nutley. Well, Barry, funny, funny times, to put it very mildly. But at least as we record this, you're in England, I'm in Spain. We both have a bright, sunny day to enjoy. Yeah, that's true. And to be honest with you, Greg, I'd rather be where I am with the greatest respect than where you are, because I'm in my <laughs> home environment and I've got toys and a bit of ground and lots of things to keep me happy. So as yet, I'm certainly not bored. Today, actually, as we record this, I can honestly say I'm having my best day for a while. And the best decision I've made, Bazza, for a long time was to go and do my shopping in the petrol station and stay away from all the chaos, because it really has been bedlam everywhere. And I think it's the same over there, isn't it? It is, but, you know, we all watch the news every night and, you know, I'm watching Spain and watching Italy, God bless them, and everything is happening over there. Uh, we are not that far behind in terms of the, the rate of the infection and all of the things that you're doing. We're about two weeks behind that. So 
we've got some pretty hard times to look forward to, but I hope and pray that Spain and Italy, uh, where you are now in Spain, are through the worst of it. Is that a fair guess or are you, are you being a bit guarded on that? I've got the same opinion as you. I'm hoping we are, but I'm concerned we're not, to be honest with you. I'm realising now we're just having to take each day as it comes, aren't we? Literally, I'm not watching too much news because yeah. I'm finding it's quite depressing, but obviously you've got to keep abreast with it. Um, I genuinely don't know. And I suppose the most concerning thing is I don't really think anybody knows quite what's happening, do they? No one can predict how long this is going to last for. No, they can't. And, and you imagine the people, you know, in our profession at the very top having to make the call on, are we going to schedule more rounds? Are we going to try and change the calendar? Are we going to abandon the season completely? I mean, there are some big big decisions mm. to be made right across motorsport well sport in general and what do you do because i suppose if we just focus on motorsport obviously all of these championships we cover have sponsors and partners nobody wants to be seen to be cancelling anything too soon or postponing too much because they've got commercial partners to satisfy but at the same time i suppose we've got to be realistic and we could be ranging at the moment from anything between a shortened season a curtailed season a totally cancelled season I think every single one of those options is possible. Indeed, yeah. And, I, I, you know, some forward-thinking people are already uh, thinking 2021. You know I'm involved with the World Sidecar Motocross Championship. Well, yeah, yeah we have a, a calendar in place for this year, which has already been cut back, hopefully to get underway in July. But just in case that doesn't, we've already got a full list of dates for 2021. So they, they are really thinking ahead on the on the motocross and i think if you get your dates in early for next year you're first in the queue aren't you because inevitably there'll be clashes that's another problem we've seen at the moment as well isn't it with let's say world superbikes motor gp things are moving yeah. around then they've moved further things around to avoid clashes as well can you imagine the chaos this must be causing for all the companies involved whether it's broadcasters teams riders sponsors all the flights the rental cars the hotels all these date changes it's utter chaos it is utter chaos, and you can't, you know, as you say, nobody knows when it's going to end, whether it's going to get more difficult. Countries still have closed borders. You know, with international competition, people aren't going to be able to travel around even if they want to. So it's all, it's all very well and good organising a race in wherever, but if you can't get there, what's the point? And we don't know yeah. that. Yeah, and I get the feeling that until everybody's back normal, whatever normal is now, because I think we're beginning to forget, but until everything's back under control... We can't really do anything, can we? It's all well and good one country being okay, but unless everybody else is, I can't see normal service resuming, to be honest. No, we've never seen anything like it, have we? I mean, the closest I've ever got to this is the foot and mouth disease when yeah. off-road sport yeah. was stopped. You know, that's a different thing. It affects animals, of course, but it's still a major problem. But something on this scale, uh, where you've got police intervention and laws being passed on a daily basis to keep people off the streets, thank goodness... Most people are entering into the spirit of the thing and following the regulations. And you have to. You can't mess about. It's dodgy, isn't it? We're talking with my relatives in the UK. Everybody's comparing it with the wartime, the Girton Daisy classics and George Formby and all the other songs that used to be sung down in the Anderson shelter. And it is a similar feeling, isn't it? Luckily, we've not got bombs coming down, thank goodness. But that sort of community spirit does seem to be the closest we've had since the war. Well, I had a funny phone call this morning. You know, I get a bit involved in music and stuff like that. And in, yeah. in my little community here, 
I'm looked upon unofficially as the entertainment manager. And I had a phone call. <laughs> I can believe that, Barry. <laughs> I had a phone call from a lady down the road. She said, you know, all these people come out and sing. She said, could you organize some PA up by the phone box? <laughs> And could we do dancing in the street? Is it Martha and the Vandellas or something like that? <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Yeah, you got it. I can just, I can so just I imagine. I reckon I'm going to have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure it's recorded, won't you? <laughs> as long as everybody maintains their social distancing, we'll try and do something. But yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. Oh dear, I've got lots of watts of. Uh, PA volume, I can make everybody hear. It's true, there isn't it? I mean, downstairs, there's a cafe where I live here. There's like a square downstairs with a church. And in the cafe, there's a um, a drawing and an old picture of Charlie Chaplin with a quote of his. And it says, a day without laughter is a day wasted. And I think in times like this, it's absolutely true, isn't it? Yeah, we yeah. might as well try and see the funny side. It is not a funny situation, but we've got to try and look on the bright side. Oh, well, there's so much stuff flying around on social media and, and WhatsApp groups and jokes. And everybody's yeah, great yeah. at laughing, you know, in their hour of need. And, you know, when your back's against the wall, you've got to, for goodness sake. Anyway, I just thought we've, we're, <laughs> we've had a few podcasts the last few weeks. Um, we've had riders, crew chiefs, all sorts of different people. And I thought, why don't we have a commentator? We're both commentators, but obviously you've got a lot more experience than me, Barry, if you don't mind me saying. I'm interested to know, when was your first ever commentary of any kind and were you nervous because i remember i was very nervous when i had my first live commentary well i i go back to screen sport with they were the pioneers of satellite sport television they were based in nutsford in cheshire uh, paul hargreaves if he's still out there paul i'm thinking of you i hope you're still with us uh 84 that was i finished riding i rode cycle motocross internationally for many years and i finished at the end of the 83 season and my local club were running a GP, a motocross Grand Prix. And uh, they had coverage by this satellite television company. And the commentator was a guy called Graham Knight, who worked for Radio Derby. And as far as I'm concerned, or as far as I know, he's still at it. So good on you, Graham. Keep it up. And they said, look, will you come along and be our expert, if you like, be summarizer, do the James Whittam role? So I said, yeah, fine. And because it was my sport and... I found it really easy. I just sat there and chatted away about, about the sport. And David Duffield was another one of those commentators who was a Eurosport cycling man. You might have heard David Duffield's name. Mm, yeah, I worked yeah. with him a lot in those days. And uh, I did two years with screen sport. So through the 84 and the 85 season, including solo motocross, Dave Thorpe, Kurt Nickel, all the British championship and a couple of GPs. And then in 86, I read in the Motorcycle News that BBC Grandstand were covering the 250 Motocross Grand Prix at Hawkstone Park live. So that's not that far from me. You know, I'm in Shropshire, just down the road. So I sent them a VHS tape to BBC in Manchester and said, look, I've done a bit. If you can use me at Hawkstone, I'd love to be involved. And they did. They said, look, can you come along and do the same job for us? So I went to this live outside broadcast and you know how big that would have been greg in the 80s with uh, mm. bbc grandstand it, it was the big deal and uh we were first on i was doing the summarizer role but the lead commentator was uh, still a good friend of mine tony jardine who's a much respected man in the world of motorsport still works with us at goodwood and writes an awful lot as pr company tony jardine was a commentator but he was a car man essentially 
And at 11 o'clock, the director said, um, okay, everybody, this last practice session, 11 o'clock, we're going to use as a live rehearsal because when grandstand come at one o'clock, we are first on the bill. They're coming straight to us. So off went all these motocross bikes into the woods at Hawkston Park on their practice. And um, two minutes in, Tony had said nothing. And he won't mind me telling this story because we talk about it often and I owe him big time. And uh, <laughs> they said in our ears, can everybody see the pictures? Commentators, can you pick up, please? And Tony said, to his credit, Keith, I'm sorry, mate, I can't do this. I'm a four-wheel man. There are too many of them. I, I don't recognize anybody. There's no way I can go live at one o'clock. What about that? So we, Really? So what? Uh, this is two minutes before you're supposed to be starting commentary? This was an hour. So it was getting on for a midday, and we, should have, we were due to go on there at one o'clock. So there were phone calls up and down to London. Uh, the grandstand, as you know, ran two or three sports uh, across the afternoon. There was cricket somewhere. There was horse racing somewhere else. There'd been a, a fatality at the horse racing, so they couldn't go back there. Yeah. Uh, it was raining at the cricket, so they basically had nowhere to go. So Keith said to me, do you think you can do it, Barry? Can you switch roles? You took the lead. And I did. And I'd ridden Hawkstone. It was my sport. Tony and I switched roles, and that was the start of 16 years with DBC Grandstand. Wow, what a what a great story. And how did you feel then when you were asked by the producer? Did you think, oh, I'm not sure? Or did you think there's no time to, you know, there's nothing else we can well, do? There was nothing else we could do. And, and I was astute, if that's the word, astute enough to realize that this was a golden opportunity and they don't come along yes, very often. No, yeah. So, you know, I'm either going to make a job of this and make it work or I'm going to screw it up. But either way, I've got nothing to lose. And uh, because I'd ridden Hawkston and it was my sport, I found it, I won't say I found it easy, but it came much more naturally. And uh, after that, it was fine. I did a lot of motocross and grass track racing for BBC. And then they said to me, we would like to switch you on to tarmac because we want Murray to focus on Formula One. And, you know, we're dividing Murray across all motorsport. We'd like him to be Formula One focused. So all the other stuff, can you pick up? Which was, and I did for many years. And things have really changed now, haven't they? Because I don't think anyone who does this job to be famous is doing it for the right reason. However, when you look back at people like Murray, these are household names, aren't they? And it just shows you how much things have changed now with all these satellite channels. You know, back then it was pretty much for sport, just the BBC, wasn't it? And therefore people like Murray and yourself did become household names. Well, we had... Dickie Davis on ITV World yeah, of Sport, yeah. didn't we? So on, on the other side, we had ITV World of Sport and we had BBC Grandstand. And, you know, the BBC Grandstand title music is in my yeah, head. Yeah, me too. And when you sit there uh, before they come to you and da 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 Brilliant. The best theme tune of all of them, in my opinion. The adrenaline's going and then back in the studio they say well welcome to grandstand da -de -da -de -da. and helen rollison bless her heart who sadly is no longer with us we lost her from cancer was somebody i had a lot of respect for and of course des lynham and steve Ryder. i mean they were such yeah. class acts all of them they were impeccable and they did become a household name 
and all these people, Barry, I, I've got all their books. Des Lynham, Steve Ryder. Um, I've spoken in the past with Jim Rosenthal, obviously Tony Giardino I've never met, but you learn so much from these people, don't you? They, oh, it's yeah. good to have mentors, isn't it? Well, it's essential, in fact. Without a doubt, yeah. And, and you know, if if when you've been doing it for as long as I have, and, and you will get there because you're well-established now, you're well on your way into a successful broadcasting career, it's nice later on in life to try and put something back. And, and I've got a, a young man who, if you like, is a protege of mine in the world of motocross. Because we get date clashes, I can't, I can't be everywhere across three or four series, just like you. You're involved in World Superbike, you're involved in British Superbike. Inevitably, there are clashes. But I've found a young man that I can slot in in place of me. He's just 20 years of age. He wants to be a TV commentator. And I said, look, would you like to have a go at this? When I can't do it, do you want to have a go? And he's grabbed it with both hands. <laughs> I tell you what, <laughs> he went to Germany and did a live, live commentary. Uh, he was 19 then. That is something, Greg, isn't it? So it's, I suppose in some ways it's a bit like, it was a bit like you being thrown into that situation when you were with Tony Jardine. It's a little bit like that, isn't it? All these years later. Yeah. But, but, you know, I was, I was 40 and in my forties. And so you've mm. got, you're a bit more worldly wise. You've got a bit more vocabulary. I probably have more then than I've got now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Brain cells are dying. This sounds silly, but sometimes I, it, this sounds ridiculous, but Sometimes I'm commentating and very nearly on a few occasions, I've, I've ended up slipping in a Spanish word because I'm used to speaking Spanish day to day living over here. I, yeah. It sounds ridiculous. I don't think I've ever actually done it yet, but I'm bound to do it now. I've said this, but isn't it strange sometimes how certain phrases just, you know, there's certain key words I think we all latch onto. Um, yeah. And every now and again, every now and again, something comes out and you think, have I, have I just said that? But it's too late, isn't it? It's live. Well, and, and we're also, I mean, just to, to, to give our, our listeners or our viewers or whatever a, a bit of an idea with motorsport mm. commentary, we, a lot of it is on autopilot because we are yeah. we're talking about what we see. We're talking about additional color behind what we see. And we're also, to a certain extent, buying a bit of time with stock phrases. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I know one thing I often say, and people are probably going to notice it even more now if they haven't already, is... I'll say, for example, around the first few corners, everybody threw cleanly. And it just gives me a, a split second or two to let the, to gather, gather my thoughts. thoughts, let the pack get yeah. into the second corner. And I, I have realized a few times, oh, I've got to stop saying that. <laughs> and I don't, maybe most people haven't even noticed, they will now. But um, yeah, I think we've all got those set phrases. And I think probably, Barry, I don't know whether you agree. I think everybody in life has set phrases, but you're not analyzing day-to-day -day conversation as you are a TV commentary, which you're listening to every two weeks or every week. No, uh, that's right. And with motorsport, you and I spoke informally a couple of days ago about commentary in general mm. and football. And, you know, I watch football commentary yeah. and they are much more measured and the, the pictures tell the story much more simplistically. You can see that Fred passed the ball to Dave and Dave nearly tripped up and Pete hit him on the head and all that sort of thing. So, <laughs> So the, the commentators will just drop the names in, whereas in motorsport, and in particular, dare I say, motorcycle racing, I'm on the thing, and you are. Yeah. And I'm on the thing, and yeah. we're into this, the front's pushing, the front's pushing. Goodness me, how did he stay on that? You know, I'm on it, and I get the feeling if I stop talking, I'll fall yes. off. You know? It, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I agree. It, it is weird, isn't it? I also think as well, 
perhaps I don't know whether you agree the difference with our sport or motor racing in general is that unlike other sports certainly the British audience are very very enthusiastic and they're not always supporting one rider or one team in particular sometimes they are but it's not like football or cricket or rugby where you're supporting one side or the other a lot of people are watching it like we do I think for the general entertainment and not just because they're supporting one certain rider or team which means we need to have as much information as possible about every single rider and every single team in that field, don't we? Whether they're at the front, in the middle, or at the back. Well, you'll probably find, like I've done over the years, that you you do all that work, and then the race <laughs> pans out with a four-horse race, and all of that work, it's not wasted because no. you've done it. But you don't get to use it, do you? Yeah, and it stick, I, I find it sticks in your head when you write it down as opposed to typing it. But yeah, and without doubt. Yeah, without doubt. Yeah. But often, yeah, you don't use it, do you? It's all there. But I find it gives me a sort of, um, how can I put it? it? I feel more relaxed knowing it's there just in case. Whereas if it wasn't yeah. there, I think I'd feel a bit naked going into the commentary. Well, you, you need things to draw on. And I, I'll give you yeah. a quick example of that. Years and years ago with the, the Black Nortons, the JPS Nortons. Remember them? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Terry Reimer, Ron Haslam was on one. We were at Alton Park. I was working with Steve Parrish. We were live into Grandstand. And the pack went into Old Hall, turn one. Down they went. And there were five bikes. Two of the Nortons were wrecked. And there were there was oil and bits and pieces. And no injuries. But the track needed cleaning up. It was a 17-minute delay without engines running. And we were live into Grandstand. We had nowhere else to go. And the producer was screaming at the cameraman for shots to give us something to talk about. We saw Terry Reimer change a clutch. We saw Ron Haslam change his leathers. That was entertaining. Live on Grandstand. And we saw <laughs> all live on Grandstand because, because we had to. It became a mini documentary. Yes. What goes yeah. on in pit lane when there's a stoppage, you know? And it, it was. A lot of people said afterwards, you know, that was informative. That was almost better than the race. Funny, because isn't it? we saw Funny. Lo- yeah. lots going on. Yeah. Interesting. It's really interesting you say that because I often find I, this is going to sound ridiculous in some ways, but I often find I enjoy a red flag stoppage more than an actual race. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing better than a great race, but I do feel we're earning our money more when there's a red flag. We've had them a few times in the last few years in world Superbikes. We've had rain at Imola. We've had snow at Assen and massive delays, not knowing what's yeah. going to happen or when, when the restart will come, if there will even be a restart. Yeah. Assen, we didn't even get a restart. We were talking for an hour and a half and nothing ended up happening that day. Um, but then you really are earning your money, aren't you? Then you really are going through your notes and coming to your memories and having a chat with your co-commentator. Exactly um, right. You know, yeah. it, it almost makes the race, a great race, feel easy then, doesn't it? A race, a great race almost takes care of itself with the danger of sounding arrogant. But I think you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. And we're, we're doing that right now, aren't we? Because we've got a red flag on sport at the moment and, and you are yes. effectively filling airtime with <laughs> all sorts. No, and that's good because there are people out there who are, starved of their mm, motorcycle mm. sport they absolutely love it i mean there is no substitute for some people but to to hear people talking about it is better than bikes on no bikes on track if you know what i mean it's better than nothing yeah so we're, we're treading water a bit aren't we and we're filling in but we're keeping hopefully some of the british public entertained with a bit of chit chat I hope so. I'm sure you'll all let us know if we're not, but <laughs> hopefully we are. Passer. So for anyone who's listening to this, who's 
let's just say they're, I remember being 14, 15, thinking at the time, I'm reading so many books about racing. I'm watching so many videos and DVDs. I clearly remember thinking when I was 14, I've got to do something with this because it's going to be so much information in my head that I'm not going to use if I don't do something good with it. If there's anyone out there, and I'm sure there is, what advice would you give to them? They're trying to get involved in motor racing commentary or presenting. What are the main Barry Nutley pieces of advice? You have to you have to really want to do it. You have to love what you do. You've got to be interested. You've got to know what goes on. Ideally, you need to be, if it's bike sport, you need to be a biker. Ideally, it's not it's not a given, it's not an essential. But if you if you ride, that helps. But you have a parallel and you know him, Jack Nichols. Look, Jack Nichols and your career mm, have gone yeah. along very, very similarly. And he was a he was a man who when he was young, read and just digested and ingested and just swallowed all of this information. And look, look Jack's, yeah. Jack's career is very parallel to yours, doing good things. It's really funny. I remember meeting Jack when oh, I must have been about 20 and he was over here in Barcelona and we went and had a drink by the beach. And we didn't really know each other that well then, but we had a friend in common at the website I used to work for. And it's just funny, isn't it? I think if you really... It doesn't always work out, but if you really want something badly enough, you can get yeah. it, can't you? Yeah. But you really do have to persevere. And sometimes I think staying staying in it can be even harder than getting into it sometimes. Yeah, that is true. As you say, there's such a proliferation of TV channels and people wanting to do it. And sadly, there are people out there who, look, we're professionals. We try and earn a living out of it. And I've been lucky enough to have had 35 mm. years of earning some form of income out of commentary work. And but there are people out there who will do it if I would say it's glamour, but just for the glory of it, you know, and uh, nobody needs that. Everybody as a professional should be paid accordingly. Oh, I tell you what, these are tricky times, aren't they? It's, um, it's dark time. I mean, I, I'm in this bizarre way enjoying a bit of time at home because ordinarily now we'd have been uh, this weekend, we'd have been at Silverstone with BSB. Yes, I think it would have been, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It would have been Silverstone. I've missed, Goodwood members meeting, of course, didn't happen. I do all the Goodwoods as well. They've already uh, postponed uh, Festival of Speed, which was scheduled for July. Uh, you know, it, income has stopped. But that, that doesn't matter. What we want to do is get back racing and get back to normality and all these poor, poor people who've lost their lives. Let that not be in vain. Let's, yeah. let's get some solution to this thing. Yeah, this is a really real problem, isn't it? Um, yeah. You know, I remember you and I were talking a couple of days ago and even somebody you know has passed away from this. So, I mean, that really brings it home, doesn't it, when it is this close it to home? It certainly does. certainly does, yeah. It's, I mean, it's the main topic of conversation. And as you say, yeah. uh, no one, no one in the modern generation has experienced anything like it. So it's a whole new set of rules. And, um, well, let's just hope and pray that my studio gets used this year. I'm sitting in my studio here, surrounded with all the well, equipment. Yeah, especially <laughs> considering you've just invested in a nice new Coles lit mic, let's hope you can use the thing. Let's talk about Murray Walker, though, Barry. I was going to mention it before. Murray, my hero, more than any rider or driver, enthusiasm is infectious. But you're one of the few people, really, on the grand scheme of things, who's actually worked with Murray and known Murray. What's he really like? He's an absolute gentleman. And, you know, it's easy for me to to trot out platitudes and compliments, but he is a real gentleman, a real professional who cut his teeth alongside his father, who was a, a good 
you know, TT winner and uh, a mm, good Graham, motorcyclist yeah. and editor of the motorcycle magazine for many, many years. So Murray cut his teeth right at the very bottom doing TT radio commentary and so on and so forth. He was a good motorcyclist. He was a gold medalist in the international six days trial. So, you know, his first love in actual fact is two wheels and he will yes, be the first to yeah. tell you that. But when, um, when they dovetailed me in with Murray and then moved me on to bike stuff, he was understandably a little bit prickly because I remember down at Thruxton, we were thrown together in a garden shed because that's what the commentary booths were in those days, a garden shed and Murray and I were put together and I was there to do a co-commentary with them. And he said, and I know it was, it was reported back to me. He said, this is Barry Nutley. I, I don't know. I've never heard of him. He's not a writer. He's not. And he said, well, this, he's somebody we want to bring in onto the track racing. <laughs> so he was, he was understanding. Well, there are only 20 minute races. I, I don't need anyone to help me, you know, but nonetheless, if that's what you want, we'll do it. Now, on that day, we were live again into Grandstand, and at about two o'clock in the afternoon, down the line into our ears from London came the news that Didier Peroni, the Ferrari driver, had lost his life in a powerboating accident off, uh, off yeah. the Isle of Wight. Uh, and that was big news. So they said to Murray, look, Murray, we're coming to you in 10 minutes, and we'd like two or three minutes on the life of Didier Peroni. And okay, so he broke off. I was then doing the commentary. The 250s were on the line or something at Thruxton. So I did that race on my own. Murray sat in the corner with a little book and he made some notes, scribbled away. And at the end of my race, they said, um, that's it. That's the result for the 250. We're now going back to Thruxton uh, for some shock news from Murray Walker. And I remember the words clearly. He said, the Formula One is reeling to the shock news of the sudden death of Didier Peroni, not as you might think, on four wheels, but in a powerboat. And he then went on to go through Didier Peroni's achievements, his career, and all of that was in his little pocketbook. And I thought, respect. What a man. So that was in Murray's pocketbook, and he just happened to have it there with him at the time. Because obviously all that was in the aftermath of the controversy with Gilles Villeneuve, wasn't it? At Imola. Yeah, Gilles indeed, Villeneuve yeah. had been killed at, Zon, at Zolder. And then oh. Peroni died not too long after that, didn't he? Yeah, he did. I mean, your memory is phenomenal. And you were a young man then. Goodness me. <laughs> You've probably still got the book, haven't you? I, it's just, again, it's like, <laughs> I was, it's like I was saying before, all the, it's all those hours of reading and watching things. And some of it just sticks, doesn't it? But but since then, uh, Murray and I have worked together many times. And uh, when it came to the only Grand Prix that BBC did, they always did Donington. They always did the GP at Donington. Murray yeah. always did the 500s. And I did uh, the 125s, the 250s, and the sidecars. Because on those days, everything ran in GPs, as you know, even the 80s early on. And we had Ian McConaughey as um, an 80cc champion. But. I did Hockenheim and did one or two other things and then gradually Murray eased across and the emphasis was very much on Formula One. Did touring cars as well and he and I did a couple together and then uh, they eased him into Formula One and out of the touring cars. So, but we've, we've worked together quite recently. Uh, most recently was at a function, James Toseland's retirement party. That's about the last time Murray and I took to the stage together. 
Uh, he's now in advancing years, as you obviously know, but uh, my best wish to go to Murray. I learned an awful lot from him and, uh, you know, he's my inspiration, without a doubt. Yeah, me too, I must say. He'll be 97 this coming October. And one of the greatest things, of course, is from he's from Birmingham. He's from Hall. He was born in Hall Green, Birmingham, which isn't far from where a lot of my family grew up. But it's not just bikes that Barry's commentated on over the years. Cars have certainly been a big part of things as well. And here's a clip from the 1997 British Touring Car Championship season and plenty of action in an absolutely saturated race at Thruxton. There is the quickest one of all, Gabriele Tarquini, race leader. Alan Menu, number two, championship leader. Four wins from the first four rounds, but he's having his work cut out this time on this damp Truxton. Tim Harvey, number 12, Tim Harvey, right up the inside of John Clellan. A tiny nudge, and that's all it takes. Clellan's facing the wrong way, and he ends up but still running. Good driving, kept it running, snatches a handful of gears, and he's back on the tarmac, Charlie. in the Peugeot in seventh. Oh, and Watts is in deep, deep trouble. What the dickens was that all about? It's a never-ending spin, and here come the tyres. It's Harvey, but Tarquin is on the inside line. The chicken flag goes to the Italian. The touring cars, Barry, you just mentioned that. Let's talk about that quickly, because... That was my first love. I must say, I used to play the games, the Toka Touring Car games on my computer and on the PlayStation. I remember going to my first race meeting at Donington with my mum and dad and brother, and then again at Silverstone. Those super touring years, they were massive, massive years, weren't they? And that's when the national championship, as it is, became very, very international. It is. Yeah, but, you know, I did probably in total, I doubt if I did a dozen, maybe half a dozen or eight, and it was it was outside of my comfort zone. But if you're a race commentator, motorsport is motorsport. If you've done the work, you go and meet the drivers and mingle in the paddock. Then one form of motorsport is very much like another. Do you agree? Yeah. As long as it moves quickly and there's drama, you can get excited about pretty much anything, can't you? Whether it's powerboats, bikes, cars, <laughs> even yeah. bicycles in a way. Aircraft. You know, craft uh, over Red the Bull years, Air Race you did, of course. Yeah. Uh, Red Bull Air Races from 2004 to 2010. And, uh, yeah, the, so I've done boats. I did the Class 1 Offshore Powerboat World Championship, <laughs> which was screened. ITV took it, certainly. And uh, the Red Bull Air Race, I've done jet skis. I've done, yeah, motocross, road racing, touring cars, uh, Renault, Renault World Series, did a couple of those, one from Estoril. Funny story there, I was live into this thing and Sky was showing it. And it was when Robert Kubica was going really, mm. really well before his yeah. big crash. But he, he grew up through the Renault World Series. Uh, and they were big. I think they were three-litre cars. They were big engines. Yeah, they were. I remember seeing them, actually, as a spectator. They were great races as well. Some brilliant they drivers. They Vettel, were. Kubica, Kovalainen, all those big names came up through there. They did. And it was, it was great. And Renault put the thing on free gratis. You know, nobody paid to go in through the gate. Yeah. It was a big yeah. free show. And it was I a did, brilliant production. Yeah, fantastic it was. Brilliant. I was in Estoril doing the live commentary, and I got that courtesy, bless him, of Matt Roberts, our own Matt Roberts, who had the mm-hmm. gig in those days. 
And he couldn't do it. And he said, do you want to do it? So I went across to Israel and did it. So thank you, Matt. And uh, on about lap 14, Kubica was leading a handsome lead, something like 28 seconds. And we lost pictures. And you will know what that means. And so I can... All I have is timing screen, and I lost pictures of seven laps. Seven laps? And all, really? That's a long I, time. All I could see was the cars going past the commentary box and down the straight. And at one point, I noticed, and I watched on the timing screen, Kubica's lead had been decimated to something like 1.8 seconds. Uh-oh. None, nonetheless, he won the race, and I was able to blag my way through. And, uh, well, you know... Not such a convincing win for Kubica, but he got there, you know, da di da da When I got home, <laughs> my neighbour had Sky TV. I'm looking forward to hearing I don't know what you're going to say here. Yeah. You're going to find well, out what actually I, happened, I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, talk, I spoke over the fence. Rob, did you watch the race yesterday? He said, yeah, I did. I said, what did you think? Because I was a bit nervous. Again, I was out of my comfort zone. <laughs> How did I do? Not fishing for compliments, but it, he's the sort of guy who, if I had had a rubbish job he would have said <laughs> and he said yeah it was okay you did okay and i said well i didn't have any pictures for seven laps he said i wondered when kubica span off and rejoined you didn't mention it <laughs> <laughs> he did did a pirouette took to the grass rejoined but lost 20 seconds and it all happened live in vision but you couldn't see it correct unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, that's a tricky one that is because you must get to the point where you, I, I honestly touch wood I'm, I can say that's not happened to me so far. I've lost pictures when the viewers have also lost pictures, but I've never lost them when it's just me losing them. How long do you go till you start to think, ooh, should I just say something here? Well, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Very tricky. And how many times have you been involved with a commercial break and something yeah. happens in the commercial yes. break? Yes. The viewers are coming that's back happened. and the top four have yeah. changed, you know? That happened uh, in a Motorstar race just last year, actually, at BSB, because we have to take commercial breaks at some point. We never do during the BSB races, but sometimes we might have to take it, as you know, during a sidecar race or a Motorstar race or whatever. And I remember just as we went to the break, there was a massive moment, but I had to wait because you have to pause, don't you, as you're going into the break yeah, yeah. and pause again when you're coming back out of the break, because we still keep commentating through that break. People might not know, but we still keep commentating, don't we, Barry, for we highlights do. packages for yeah. the Eurosport player, which is still going out live. Um, and then of course you've got to come back in and sum up what happened without making it sound ridiculous for the people who've been watching live on the player who've already seen what happens. And it's just sort of treading the fine line, isn't it? And what a lot of people don't know is that we have a director in our ear the entire time we're commentating. Yes. Did the BBC always have that open talk yeah, back? Did. Was it always like that? Yeah. With the BBC, you had open talk back and you'd have the director cutting the pictures and uh, and we hear Cov, don't be talking to the cameraman. You have yeah, a director yeah. cutting the pictures, but you'd have a producer uh, guiding you. If I can give you a, a couple of funny examples, there was a, and I won't name names for obvious reasons, but there was a certain gentleman <laughs> who was a very eminent producer with the BBC. Is this somebody that Murray Walker's talked about quite a lot over in, the years? In, I think it indeed. Is. He was an excellent, right, okay. excellent producer, but he had very definite views on Scotland and uh, for some reason was quite, quite protective about being a Scot. And we were, uh, we were at Brands Hatch and it was in the days of John Reynolds and Brian Morrison when they were riding Team Green Kawasaki. And we were live in the mm. grandstand and I said, and have a clear way they come and it's the former baker's delivery man, Brian Morrison from Kirkcaldy in Scotland. And down my ear said, 
I don't hear that. You wouldn't say Salisbury, England, would you? Oh, really? <laughs> so that, this is live. You're still commentating as this happens. I was live. And because I qualified that Kirkcaldy was in Scotland, that was not acceptable. But there you go. <laughs> what was your take on it? Did you agree with that? Or did you see where he was coming well, from? Uh, listen, Greg, they, they were halfway around Druids by the time I'd regained my composure. I, <laughs> I thought, I can't, can't believe I've just heard that. I, know, I, I think it ear. seems a reasonable enough thing to say, in my opinion, but there you go. How many people know Kirkcaldy is in Scotland? I don't know. You do now. You've never been allowed to forget it by the sounds of it. No, yeah. Uh, well, in the BBC in those days, you could not use the words disaster and tragedy in a sporting context. Well, that's an interesting one as well. I remember when we were at the Brackley Festival of Motorcycling and we had a quick chat about it there a couple of years ago. Freddie Spencer was with us. But words like, yeah, disaster, catastrophe, carnage. Would you have been in real trouble? Because you hear these words muttered all the time now, carnage. don't you? Carnage and catastrophe, you can use, but disaster and tragedy. Right. They reserve, because they're an all-encompassing broadcaster who covers news events, earthquakes, every the whole spectrum yeah, of daily news, yeah. they reserve the right to use those words when it is a real tragedy. So obviously a, so a, a, couple of bike, a couple of bikes or cars crashing into each other and ending up in the gravel is not a tragedy when you compare it with some of the things the BBC were actually reporting. Exactly right. Providing we do get underway this year, Barry, there is a lot to look forward to, isn't there, in BSB? I mean, you've got Storm Stacey, the youngest ever rider. I think Ryan Vickers is in a potentially very good situation for a good season. You have to think Josh Brooks is the strongest. That's the man my money would be on. But, you know, Christian Idden becoming his teammate, Yamaha looking good. Um, you've got Danny Buchan with the Kawasaki. There's a lot to look forward to in BSB this year. Let's just hope we get a decent season. There's always a wealth of talent coming through, you know, and, you know, Shake is now on the Eurosport team, but what a what a great, great yeah, ambassador yeah. for British Superbike, Shaky Byrne. Yeah, it was and still is. But, you know, Neil McKenzie, looking back in the 90s, we've had great champions, but there is always someone coming through to um, take the crown, not just the crown physically, but the the media crown and the awareness and capture the public imagination. And we do have such a great British public, don't we? And that really genuinely care and have a, a wealth of knowledge when it comes to motorsport. Yeah, they absolutely do. And that's because they've been fed so much of it over the years. And, you know, all, all credit to Stuart Higgs and MSV and the work that they've done with British Superbike. Look how that has grown and grown and grown. And I was, I was in right at the start, you know, almost during the war but you know when it first started and it was super cup and before that it, it was british championship i think i did my first late 80s it would have been about 1987 my first one and that would have been mallory park and then thruxton yeah it was so 86 was the motocross 87 was the first track racing what about that incident that's on youtube it's a good clip actually good quality clip on youtube and it was mallory park and James Whittam got involved in an incident, didn't he? And clipped. I'm trying to remember whose bike it was that went down. If... Brian, Morrison. Brian Morrison. Brian Morrison. Brian Morrison. Morrison lost it, didn't he? And Whittam had nowhere to go. Devil's elbow. Coming out the devil's elbow. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Nasty, yeah. And I mean, I guess these things must feel like yesterday or do they feel like a long time ago now? No, they don't feel like a long time ago. And, you know, and I, I still feel the same. And it's 30 odd years ago, well into that, but... I still feel the same. I hope I've still got the same level of enthusiasm. The, the people who were around at that time still still know me and remember me. And 
No, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like a lifetime ago. It feels like yesterday. And some of the words that I used, if I play those clips back, I remember saying them. It's amazing, isn't it? Really? Yeah, you remember that. And do you have any set phrases, Barry? Uh, you know, we all do, don't we? But what are your favourite phrases? Well, yeah, we we all do. But, you know, I've always been... <laughs> I'm going to say this anyway. I've always been very, <laughs> very guarded about when you're talking about up the inside of and all that sort of thing, because, you know, especially when Whittam was riding Jurek Suzuki and I once said live, <laughs> Whittam on the Jurek Suzuki is rolling it off for a left-hander. And that was live. <laughs> and did you realize what you said at the time? And the same producer said to me, I don't want to hear that again. <laughs> <laughs> So then, of course, you're thinking, oh, no, you can't stop, can you? You've got no, you to keep stop. going. No. Yeah, you know, I mean, the phrases that we, we all trot out, don't we? I mean, and my my word is always unbelievable, you know, and it, it, yeah. it is what we witness too, is unbelievable. Yeah. How did they get away it is, with it? Yeah. You know? I, yeah. Uh, one, I can say it here as well. I think I probably wouldn't say it on the TV like you, but, you know, it's a nice, relaxed podcast. There was one incident. <laughs> I can't remember if it was last year or the year before. But Cov, Richard Coventry, our director, I was commentating away with, I think it was with Neil McKenzie on a junior supersport race. And all of a sudden I could hear Cov in almost hysterical laughter in my ears. Thinking, what, what's going on back there in the truck? But often there's a bit of banter in the background. You have to just keep going. And, he, and then after he said, oh, Greg, he said, I'm so sorry, but it, this was during a pause. He said, you just said there was almost contact through the bomb hole and it just tickled him. And <laughs> obviously I'm still commentating though. I've got to keep going. And I thought, well, now I'm going to be laughing and people, the viewers are going to be thinking, what the hell's wrong with him? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it happens, doesn't it? That, that's what makes us human. And uh, yeah. I think I think the viewers and the listeners like to hear a bit of humanity and a, a bit of entertainment, you know, without being coarse. But you're bound to get a bit of innuendo creeping. It's inevitable, isn't it? And I think without being too crude, I think the viewers quite like some of that, don't they, every now and again? We yeah. are only human. Well, we're more or less human, aren't we? Right, I don't think so. Just before we go, Barry, I was just going to say, we've obviously mentioned a few of our colleagues. Someone else I wanted to mention was James Hayden, because one of the riders who's come up to us personally in the last few years with an amazing fact file is Jack Scott, who's obviously been racing in Motorstar. We've been commentating on him there. And yes. interestingly, Jack, of course, is managed and looked after by James Hayden. And I remember you telling me a story about James many years ago coming up to you with a fact file. And it yep. does it does pay to promote yourself a bit as a rider, doesn't it? I've always been impressed with James Hayden because there are very few riders in those days, going back you know, late 80s, early 90s, who promoted themselves. They're much more aware these days and they realize the value of doing that. But James came up to me when I was doing live commentary at Mallory Park. A young man came into the commentary box. I didn't know him from Adam. And I think he was riding certainly in the 250s and possibly even the 125s. He said, look, I'm James Hayden. I come from Amersham. My father's a doctor. Here's a piece of paper. This is where I qualified and this is what I did in practice. And um, I'm keen and you're going to know my name. And sure enough, we do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, we've been friends all that time. And now we work together and uh, yeah, have a lot of mutual respect for each other. But the generation gap is huge. You know, here am I. I'm not afraid to say it, 75 years of age now. And James is what, early 40s, is he? He'd probably tell you he was 21 if you asked him. As yeah. Most riders get younger every year, don't they? Yeah, I know. Now, it's funny, isn't it, though? It's funny how um, that's one thing that's nice about racing. And I think 
will feel it a lot this year is it is a close-knit, I know it's a cliche, but it is a close-knit community. Absolutely, and, and I enjoy it as much as ever. I just wish that we could, you know, to go back to where we started this interview, uh, let's just hope and pray that this nightmare that we're all living through mm. at the moment goes away and, and it doesn't claim too many more lives, God forbid, and we can get through it and get back to some degree of normality. I'm not totally optimistic, but given the sort of person I am, I'd rather think positively than negatively. Yeah, I completely agree so, with uh, you, Barry. I completely agree just with you. St- stay safe, everyone. That's my message. And what's the Barry Nutley plan now between today and whenever racing does resume? A lot going on? Uh, I've got loads. I've got loads going on. I, you know, I've got grounds here with trees and bits and pieces. I've got a workshop with lots of things need pulling to bits. I've got a grey Fergie tractor. I've got to get the engine out and put a starter ring on it. <laughs> I've got to do that. Uh, I've got several cars. I want to get the Trabant out and running and MOT'd, although there's a there's a six-month ban on MOTs. You can't take them at the moment here. So they've, uh, they've waived the MOT obligation, so there's no need. The Winnebago's parked news. in the barn all ready to go, uh, but it's all dressed up and nothing on the calendar at the moment. Yeah, well, I suppose uh, no the, MOTs is one positive we can take from this whole mess, um, at least at the moment, yeah. isn't it? So at least there's some ray of hope there. But Barry, honestly, yeah, thank you so much for everything and particularly the help you've given me with the sidecar racing because it's a pleasure to work together. And um, I hardly, I'm not going to lie, I hardly knew anything about sidecar racing and I probably still don't, but I do know I know a lot more than I did before I met you. So thank you. Well, you're very welcome. It's uh, great. It's nice to see somebody carving a career in this uh, difficult area that we're in and uh, <laughs> you do a great job. Uh, risk, you know, risk of being a mutual admiration society. You know, it's it's nice to have friends and colleagues yeah. that you respect yeah. and work with. And I think right across the Eurosport spectrum, yes. we've got that team spirit. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. It is it is one big family. And again, it sounds like a right cliche there, doesn't it? And I don't want to be Mister Mister Lovey Lovey, but it is one big family, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Well, you take care. I'll be thinking of you over there in Barcelona. And, yes. Uh, next time we meet, it'll be round of beer won't it yeah the next round's on me buzzer oh yeah yeah i'm not going to spain <laughs> for it but i'll catch you i'll catch you back here in the midlands Barry, thanks very much for that some great tales there and look forward to some more in the near future my pleasure greg look after yourself take care many thanks from barry nutley and also from me greg haynes that was the full throttle podcast episode number 75 now in its third season and it's been monday the 6th of april 2020 who knows how long the lockdown will last but what we can confirm is that updates will keep coming your way from Eurosport and we'll keep trying to think as much as we can of new ideas and innovation but uh, at least we'll try and bring you at least a podcast every single week between now and the resumption of motorcycle racing whenever the heck that may be many thanks again from Greg Haynes and Barry Nutley and we'll speak with you next week